Hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the August 24th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, which is my management consulting firm. If you missed last week's episode, please make it your business to listen to the podcast version. I titled it, Should We Call 911 or 988? And our guest is Don Peel, who is Director of Crisis Coordination with the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. She talked about what to do when someone you know is having a mental health crisis, if the individual is feeling suicidal, etc. You can find the episode on my website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, where there is a local matters tab. Or if you are on Facebook, please go to and follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia Facebook page. Once there, you can listen to that audio and share it with others. And of course, if you're an old pro with podcasting, you can try one of three platforms being Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And all of my episodes are on all three of those platforms. Today, our guest is Dr. Lee Chen. She of the East Central Georgia Health District, and she'll tell us what monkeypox is, where it came from, and who should get vaccinated. But before we get to Dr. Merchant today, I want to address uh, a local government-related issue that has been hovering over the Augusta area for the past several years, and that is uh, the trial of former District 4 Commissioner Sammy Sias. As you all probably are aware, he has been convicted in a federal court. And obviously, I don't have time to go over all of the details of this uh, before we get to Dr. Merchant, but there are a few things that I wanted to point out uh, so that you have a better understanding of this case and this situation. Uh, what Mr. Sias was actually convicted of relates to two counts, uh, one of destroying evidence and the other of lying to federal investigators. You may have noted some recent media coverage that indicated that Mr. Sias has informed the judge in the case, the FBI and others, that his legal team was in possession of a thumb drive with all of the evidence or those uh, documents, 7,400 files estimated that were from his computer, they were actually on a thumb drive in his, off, in his legal team's office. And for whatever reason, those documents did not make it into the court as evidence. So um, while he was accused of destroying or deleting that evidence, it appears, according to him, that that evidence still exists. Also, um, because of this, Mr. Sias has requested a new trial. Uh, we'll see if that request will be granted by the court, um, but uh, he is asking for a new trial based upon the fact that that evidence was not available, and apparently he believes that evidence is going to be helpful to his case. Also, there are a couple 
couple other things that I'd like to share with you in relationship to this, because I know there's been some confusion in the community about those things. Um, first, the actual agreements. I think there were two agreements between the city of Augusta and the Sand Ridge Neighborhood Association. Those agreements were with the Neighborhood Association and not Mr. Sias personally. And all of those, the, both of those agreements were entered into before he became a member of the Augusta Commission. Um, also, it appears from uh, what I've been told that all of the proceeds from those agreements, which were designed to rehab Jamestown Community Center, they were distributed to the Neighborhood Association prior to his service on the commission. Um, there may have been uh, uh, a very small amount that was distributed after uh, he became a member of the commission, but you know, 99% of the funds um, or thereabouts had already been distributed before he was on the commission. So I just want to make that clear uh, that the checks were issued to the Sand Ridge Association, not to Mr. Sykes personally, and that all those agreements were arrived upon before he became a commissioner. Hope that shed some light on that. Also, uh, we'll continue to watch. Obviously, I encourage you to, too, so you know what's happening in your community. Um, also, want to make note, shift gears before we get to Dr. Merchant, to kind of go back to the topics that we've been discussing. Um, you know, last week, obviously, I talked about having Don Peel on to talk about uh, people with mental health who are issues who are in crisis. Uh, there was an incident over the weekend here in Augusta where uh, someone who is alleged to be mentally ill uh, shot and killed uh, someone in a gas station um, murder uh, situation. And um, I just want to point out that I think that illustrates the fact that our mental health system is not adequately funded to take care of situations as they uh, uh, could be. Uh, you've got um, the notion that there's somebody known to have mental illness, apparently walking the streets on a regular basis. And it resulted in an argument at a gas station that resulted in somebody losing their life. So um, because of this, I would invite all of us as residents of our great state of Georgia uh, to uh, contact our state legislators and uh, ask for sufficient resources for mental health uh, related items so that we can prevent this type of thing from ha happening uh, again. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. If there are topics that you uh, would like for us to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out to me via Facebook or via my website, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Have a contact us page there where you can reach out to me. Thanks. Today we have Dr. Lee Merchant. She's a return guest here on Local Matters. She has been with us before. She is the uh, director of the East Central Georgia Health Department, 6th District. Is that right? You got it. All right. All right. Very good. Welcome back. Um, Thank as you. I, as I announced uh, last week, at the end of last week's episode, I mentioned that we would be doing some coverage on the subject of monkeypox. It's something that I need to learn more about. So we have the expert here to tell us. Um, 
First, uh, Dr. Merchant, though, before we get started on monkeypox, can you talk a little bit about where we are with COVID in our area these days? Yeah, we um, we are dealing with a variant of COVID called BA5, and that's overwhelmingly the predominant subtype in the area. It's um, generally been associated with milder illness. Uh, we don't have very high rates of hospitalization or you know need for ventilating uh, patients with BA5. Um, because we've transitioned to home testing, uh, giving an absolute number of positive is a little bit trickier, uh, but that's okay. I think um, we do have some wastewater data that we've been monitoring that looks for the actual COVID DNA in our wastewater. Um, and that's been plateauing and coming down over the last you know, few weeks. So we'll hope to continue to see that trend, but um, I certainly can tell you, I know more people with COVID now than I ever have. And we actually have a lot of people with their first episode of COVID now. And that I think that really just speaks to how infective this BA5 variant is, even you know, infecting people that are fully vaccinated. So, you know, just want to encourage people to continue to respect the guidelines. If you are positive, we do need you to stay home for five days. Um, but you know, the good news is. Uh, we're, we're starting to open back up. I think the new CDC guidelines were really a, a breath of fresh air for everyone um, to say that the indications for masking and social distancing really are starting to come away because this virus is becoming less powerful um, as it mutates. And we, we certainly keep our fingers crossed and hope it continues to, to be that way. All right. Thank you for that update. And now let's transition over to monkeypox. You know, we see these pretty gruesome looking photos on TV or in the newspaper. And um, it looks terrible. My daughter, who's a, you know, early 20 something college student says, you know, people don't mind going to the hospital, but they don't want to be ugly. So <laughs> are more likely to get vaccinated for monkeypox. <laughs> You know, because because of the change in appearance. But if, if you could talk some about just what is it? Yes, it's um, it's a virus that, you know, humans have known about and identified in the late 50s. Just by way of a little history, because I think it's kind of interesting. This um, virus really has a, a reservoir uh, in nature in rodents in Africa really in, in uh, Western Africa and the Congo region. And when we say a virus has a reservoir, it means those rodents are carrying the virus, but they're really not getting sick from it. They're just running around doing their thing. And uh, there were um, several research monkeys being housed in that part of the world. And uh, their cages were outside and the rodents did give these research monkeys their pox virus, their ortho orthopox virus and the monkey handlers subsequently also got uh, the pox virus um, from, from the research monkeys. And that first episode was in 1958. Um, and since then it's been identified and called monkey pox. And we've had low levels every year globally. Um, it's almost been exclusive to the African subcontinent though. We really don't see monkey pox 
outside of where that natural known reservoir has been. Every now and then you've, we've seen little outbreaks, but um, this most recent outbreak really flared in, it looks like it really kind of kicked off in Europe back way back in the early spring. And, you know, I we started the conversation with COVID. I think one of the really impressive lessons that we learned from COVID is that we are all one big community and it's a global community. So um, this virus that usually lives in Africa uh, made a break for it in the 1950s. We've never really gotten it back down to zero. And this current flare really is the result of um, high transmission in Europe back in the early spring. And we have global travel and uh, the way this virus is spread is uh, through a universal behavior that we're gonna get to, I think in just a little bit, but um, it has been spreading. So in the US, we've had many, many, many years of zero monkeypox cases um, and started you know, with tens and 20 cases in California and New York. And uh, we're now north of 10,000 cases known in, in the country at this point in time. And it's August now. Uh, this, virus was first identified in Europe back in, you know, late March, early April. So I, I think that speaks to the log um, acceleration of how it's been spreading and also points to why it's been called, uh, you know, an emergency, a public health emergency. And, okay, we've seen those, those pictures with the, you know, lesions or, you know, pox marks on the skin. Uh, is there anything else you have, if you have monkeypox, any other symptoms? Yes, so this is actually an excruciatingly painful um, disease. The, the patients that have had it, you know, really use pretty powerful language. They say it's more painful than shingles. Wow. Um, that the cervical enlarged lymph nodes, um, you can get axillary lymph nodes, really profound exhaustion, fever, um, extremely run down. Um, and then the pox themselves are exquisitely painful. So we've, we, we know that patients even have a hard time swallowing because their lymph nodes become so swollen. Um, and they, they really may start out with a flu-like prodrome, you know, before the pox erupts. Um, before they see skin manifestations, but they feel really pretty run down and they feel really awful for, you know, several weeks at a time. So um, the pox themselves, generally with this outbreak, we're seeing the pox in, in a little bit of a different distribution, um, but, you know, they can occur anywhere. But I think a lot of the images of those children with the pox all over their faces and around their eyes, overwhelmingly that's likely a smallpox image. Um, the monkeypox lesions tend to be just a little bit smaller than that. You know, certainly we can see lesions on the face, um, but really we're seeing most around the mouth, um, around the um, genital areas, um, and then, you know, onto the extremities and the, and the feet and the hands as well. It's fairly distinctive. There are very few things in medicine and human medicine that cause hand lesions um, and foot lesions. And this, this pox virus is one of them. 
Right. And it's been around for over 60 years. So that's, you know, of course, the next thing I'm thinking, what lurks out there next? If there's, you know, something that's been around for this long. Um, Yes, the microbes, they're out there. (laughs) This uh, also reminds me, for those of us of a certain age, reminds us of the early 80s. Um, when sure. uh, when AIDS and HIV uh, became known to us mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at that time, uh, when HIV started, it was predominantly uh, transmitted among men who were having uh, relations with men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it became known as a gay male thing, which unfortunately caught a bunch of folks off guard because they were like, well, I'm not a gay man. I can't get it. So in this case, it seems like it's sort of starting in the same way. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, where we are with that? Is it something that women should be concerned with? Um, can you get to the sort of the root of how it's transmitted? Yeah. So I, you know, it's so poignant that we're talking about when AIDS was first identified and our response. And, you know, really, I think it was a painful learning time in in healthcare and in our world of um, really respecting the idea of of humanity and um, being truly kind and bringing all of the resources and tools that we have to treat each other um, to bear. And so there was, you know, some delay in um, identifying how HIV was spread and getting it, you know, the proper name and educating the community about how it was transmitted. And, you know, I, I think I'd like to think that we've come a really long way since then. And so there are some important distinctions about that versus where we are now. So we know how this is spread right away. We absolutely know how this is spread. There's no delay in understanding the mechanism of how monkeypox is transmitted from one person to another. And it is through very close, intimate contact. Um, it really requires you know, uh, broken skin or contact with a pustule. It's rarely able to be transmitted respiratorily, but you'd have to be within three feet of someone for several hours at a time. Um, so, you know, overwhelmingly, this is really being transmitted by people being in physical close contact with some evidence of pustular rash or active ongoing virus that they're transmitting from one to another. Really, it's a skin to skin transmission. So we do know how monkeypox is transmitted. We also have a vaccine for monkeypox. And so between the identifying the most vulnerable population and getting the vaccine freely and widely available to them and educating the vulnerable population about ways they can reduce likelihood of contracting disease. Um, Those are two key elements in this outbreak that we wanna really champion loudly from a public health perspective. And the other thing I would add is we've learned about the need for isolation, right? We've learned about identify it and isolate it early and we can get ahead of this. So I think there are some important lessons learned not only from the HIV epidemic, but also from the most recent COVID outbreak that 
um, really bring to bear the things that we know we have to do in these outbreaks, which is ident early identification and early isolation to you know, contain that spread. I, I think the, the question that you asked had to do with are females at risk for monkeypox? And they are, because if they're a female and they're having multiple intimate relationships or very close physical contact with someone who does have monkeypox, they can indeed contract the virus. Um, and that is something that we also, you know, really want to get the message out clearly. We want to isolate, you know, tr try to minimize those behaviors that are risky given this outbreak. Um, but you know, changing behavior is hard. And um, we, we certainly want women who would benefit from being vaccinated to come on in. So we have had a couple of female cases. Um, they're not the predominant case, but certainly we are seeing it start to affect women. Okay. All right. And um, to get vaccinated. Uh, tell us what's the process if someone feels like they are at risk and would really like to get it, what do they need to do? Yeah, we really want to make this as easy as possible. Um, the health department here in Augusta at Laney Walker is running active vaccine clinics on Wednesdays and Fridays. There's a pretty straightforward online registration system um, where people can log on to the website. I'll send you that link. They can answer five basic questions. Um, and if based on the honest answer to those questions, they would benefit from vaccine, they can go ahead and set up their own appointment. They can see what appointments we have that are available um, and come on in and uh, get started on the regimen. Because we know we have limited vaccine globally, we're not likely to have enough vaccine to vaccinate every single individual that we would like. Uh, we're targeting the most vulnerable group first. And that's the intention of those five questions, just trying to make sure the vaccine is being given to the people that would most benefit from it. Um, but I would say if anyone in the audience is even remotely concerned that they might be someone who would benefit from the vaccine, the website's pretty straightforward. There are five pretty simple questions to answer. Um, and if they have any questions, they can certainly call the call center as well. Um, but this has generally been something that we've seen. Young people tend to like the online scheduling system mm -hmm. and that's, that's great. The web-based uh, program is, is manageable. We also have a phone number for people to call and that is 706-721-5800. And that will put them in touch with an operator that will also take them through um, the questions and set up an appointment if, if we, we want to go ahead and get them vaccinated. Okay. Um, and in terms of the doses, is it one shot or is it multiple shots? So we are, um, we are in a very dynamic space with that. I think that's a great question. Um, because there's limited global supply of vaccine, we are we are going to intradermal vaccination now. And that intradermal vaccination means we're giving a very small, tiny little bubble of the vaccine directly under the skin. Um, if you've ever had a TB test, that's what we're talking about. It's a little bubble on your, on your arm. We call it a bleb. So the intradermal dose is really just 0.1 mLs. It's a teeny tiny little amount, but that, you know, 
allows us to five times the doses of vaccine that we have. So the idea is to get the most that we can out of the doses that we have. Um, the manufacturer is working on increasing supply, but in order to get as many people vaccinated as we can, they will be fully vaccinated, but we're doing intradermal injections. Uh, it's one shot, and then your second shot is 28 days later, and you'll be considered fully vaccinated for monkeypox about a week after that second shot. Okay. And as always, we know when they're vaccines, sometimes people have uh, misunderstandings or misconceptions about um, what it is and what it will do to your body. We saw a good bit of resistance to the COVID vaccine. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any similar misconceptions about the monkeypox vaccine? You know, I think, um, I think we have seen pretty good uptake um, and pretty good interest in the vaccine. Um, the vaccine has been around for a long time. It's been well studied. This was created as a backup to the smallpox vaccine that some of your um, listeners born you know, in the 50s and earlier may have already received. Um, this is the Janaeus vaccine. It's a live inactive vaccine. So unlike that smallpox vaccine, a lot of people will remember getting that prick on the arm and they may even have had a little pustule develop after that. This one won't do that. It's live inactive vaccine. So it doesn't allow uh, a pustule or a pock to form. That's not the way that it works. It just triggers your immune system to respond. Um, so it's very safe. Uh, it's not egg-based. You, so, you know, we really don't see contraindications for people who have had, um, you know, reactions to egg-based vaccine like the flu. Um, vaccine. And it's incredibly well tolerated with almost very, very minimal side effects. So our, you know, the patients who have received the vaccine feel fine, go on about their day, um, really have, have minimal things. The intradermal vaccine, that little bleb that we talked about can be a little bit itchy and a little bit uncomfortable, but that really goes away after a couple of days. And it's, it's a little bubble. It's smaller than the little bubble wrap bubbles. Okay. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us about the topic of monkeypox and the health department's response to it? You know, I just would like to say um, one of the misconceptions that's out there is people who have had the smallpox vaccine think that they're protected from monkeypox. Um, and that is not true. So um, the this immune system, having had that shot, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, isn't going to remember uh, how to respond at this point. So I uh, just want to make it as easy as possible for anyone who has possibly at risk or has possibly been exposed to monkeypox. We're the health department. We're happy to take care of you. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we do it very, very well. It's confidential and it's an excellent streamlined team. So uh, want to make it as easy as we can for anyone who would benefit from the vaccine to come on in and get that shot. So um, between the online scheduling system and our phone numbers, I, I would encourage anyone to come in and get it early. Um, and we're happy to give the very best care that we can. Excellent. Excellent. And if you could give that web address uh, one more time so folks know where to go to uh, answer those five questions and figure out if they need to go take a uh, vaccine. 
Yeah, hold on just a second. Let me pull that up for you. DPH dot Georgia spelled out G E O R G I A dot gov G O V slash monkeypox. Okay. All right. Thank you again so much for bringing this important topic to our listeners. Um, we like to make sure that people uh, have no excuse for not having the information. So thanks so much for uh, sharing that with us. And we wish you the best as you continue to fight communicable diseases in Georgia. Oh, Janice, thank you so much for the opportunity to get the word out. This is just uh, such a privilege to help to help shout this from the mountaintop. So thank you for the opportunity. And uh, it's, it's always nice to see you. Next week, join Local Matters as we discuss the upcoming elections uh, that will take place on November 8th. Uh, this week is qualifying. So we'll talk about uh, who has qualified for the various offices on the ballot to include the school board races for the Richmond County School System, as well as uh, the Office of Tax Commissioner. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.